We turn now to God's, uh, to our sermon text today, and uh, I've been working through with you through a brief uh, sermon series through the book of Isaiah, select passages, and this morning our text will be Isaiah 40, uh, verses 9 through 31. And uh, I, we've been uh, taking select passages, the opening, I've, I've allowed the opening of this book of Isaiah to especially set our trajectory for us. I'll remind you, in, in verse 3, Isaiah says that Israel does not know, my people do not understand. And, uh, and so we've been asking this question, how does a people who are imperceptive towards God, unknowing, not understanding, how do they come to know and to worship the true God? And then today we have a passage that shows us uh, God's incomparability, God beyond compare. Uh, And so this passage will press to us the question, do you know this God? Listen, this is God's word. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest 
carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. It sometimes seems as if we live to make comparisons. We compare ourselves to others. We compare this day or this year to the last. We encounter something unknown and we compare it to what we do know. And kids, even if you, if you pay attention, I suspect that even you can catch yourself uh, doing this. Uh, this week, Nathaniel, our five-year-old, showed off how far he is able to go in making comparisons. He came home from school and he said, this wasn't the best day. This was the best, best day. And it turns out that he has a fairly elaborate system of comparing his experience from day to day, one day to the next, and his ranking of days has largely to do with the amount of sugar he is able to consume. Believe me, this is not at our encouragement, but chocolate milk, pancakes, a slice of pie, sweet potato casserole sneaking from the dessert table to the main table. These are the kinds of things that might make a person stretch for words. You think you can't have better than the best. What can you compare the best to? All you can say is this has been the best best day. We compare and we, we form an assessment or we gain knowledge. But what will you do with the one who is beyond comparison? To whom or, or what will you compare God? That's the question that Isaiah puts to us today. We encounter this God beyond comparison, and we stretch for words. We stretch for words. Holy, holy, holy. See, do you know this God? How do you know this God? 
And so I want to begin with you in the, in the heart of this passage, with verse 12 and following, and then we'll eventually find our way back to the opening verses. But first, we'll see this God beyond compare, and then next to him, some weak contenders. And we'll find our way back to the, the good news that, that rings out and that opens this passage. But first, in this passage, we encounter God beyond compare. We encounter his incomparability in his works and in his attributes. No one can do works like his. No one possesses the wisdom, the power, the goodness, the justice of this God. So Isaiah puts first God's works before us. God is the majestic creator, an an artisan, measuring, marking off, weighing, crafting. And in this work, God stands alone. That's the force of, of these rhetorical questions in verse 12. Who has measured the waters? Who marked off the heavens? Who measured dust, the dust on a scale, you see? And the answer to all these questions is no one but God. Nor should we, um, we should not imagine, Isaiah says, that, that any, any other being participated or aided God in this work. Whom did he consult, Isaiah asks, or who made him understand? No one. This, this parade of questions insists that God is incomparable in this work of creation. And there's really hardly anything more able to fill us with a sense of our finitude uh, than the heights and the depths of creation. You know, imagine the, the Marianas Trench, the deepest known place in, in our oceans, able to hold Mount Everest with a mile to spare. Imagine uh, floating above those waters, wondering what lies beneath. And Isaiah says, he measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. Or think of how so many of us uh, wondered with, with amazement at those images that came uh, from the James Webb telescope, uh, Space Telescope this last summer. So many of us wondered at those images, those parts of space that were before just a fuzzy dot, and now we could see uh, with crisp color, they contained galaxies. He measures the heavens with a span, with the length of his hand. Creation gives us this sense of our smallest But the move of of Scripture over and over is to say that these great works are but small, inconsequential to God. God is creator beyond comparison. And then God is ruler. Beside Beside God's work of creation, we see his matchless work of providence, preserving all things, ruling all things. That's the force, especially of, uh, in the later part of the passage, verse 21 and following. In verse 22, we read, 
God sits above the circle of the earth, or you could translate, God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. The heavens are his, are his cosmic tent, his, his holy dwelling, even as he ruled Israel from the tent of the tabernacle. And we see this ruling in action in verse 23. God's rule is revealed over against those who seem to possess a power, who seem to rule. God brings princes to nothing. Rulers are, quote, made empty. And Isaiah, in his way, uh, puts this to us with some deep ironies. First, this word, empty. God, God makes the rulers of the earth emptiness. It picks up the Genesis language of how the earth, before God's creative work, was formless, empty. But here the irony is that God makes again, but he makes empty. He decreates, as it were. He returns these judges, these rulers, to chaos. Or again, another irony in verse 24, God blows and they wither. In the beginning, God blew, blew breath into Adam and he gave life. But here, God's rule, which expresses his creative power, is for their destruction. But we realize throughout that God's creative power means that also he has this power to rule, to, to govern and preserve all things, even over against those who seem to possess power. And indeed, in verse 26, we realize that his providence embraces not just kings and, and rulers, but the cosmos. The stars continue in their place because of God's great power. In God's work of creation and providence, God stands alone. He gives his glory to no other. And in those very works, he puts his attributes on display for us, his attributes which are beyond compare. He allows us to see his matchless wisdom, his justice, his power, his goodness. And so this is the, a continual thread through the passage. The passage. Uh, for example, with God's wisdom, who has ever taught God knowledge or showed him the way to understanding? Or, or of his justice, who taught him the path of justice? Or again, of his power, uh, Isaiah says that we look at the heavens and we see that by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one star is missing. And there are two things to say about these attributes that, that are revealed for us here. First, verse 28 shows us the limitless nature of God's attributes. His understanding is unsearchable. Like the, the depths of the Marianas Trench, there's no searching out the, the end of God's wisdom. 
Well, likewise, we could add of, of God's justice or of his power, which Isaiah says, he does not grow faint. God's wisdom, God's justice and power are, are limitless. And then second, we find a striking contrast when we turn to examine ourselves. Who has ever taught God knowledge or showed him uh, the way to understanding? But this whole sermon series began with that claim, my people do not know. They do not understand. God's wisdom and power and justice, they stand over our conspicuous lack of the same. So we see God's, God's wonderful works, his, his, his matchless attributes. And then in the center of this passage, we encounter weak uh, competitors or inadequate contenders, nations, mere idols. For all our tendency to be impressed by the, by the threats or by the promises of nations, God is not impressed. This word is, is spoken to Israel prophetically in, in exile. The Israel of exile, Judah, conquered, uh, conquered by and scattered in Babylon among the nations. And you know, Judah before the exile uh, was tempted to trust in Egypt as an ally that nation known for its wise counselors. They were tempted to trust in Egypt. Or in exile, it was Babylon that loomed large for them, the, nations who, who's, the nation whose gods had, had seemingly defeated Israel's God, Yahweh. How easy, how easy to be impressed by these powers. We are not different in these respects, in this respect. Trusting in earthly nations or fearing them, either our own or others. In either case, we are confronted by this image. The great nations, they're a mere drop in the bucket, from a bucket. Or again, God says, gather up all those the rich natural resources of Lebanon, its, its uh, tremendous forests. And look, its forests are not enough for, for fuel, nor its livestock enough uh, to, to, uh, to, for a sacrifice to match the, the worth of the incomparable God. If all of Lebanon were a sacrifice, still it would be inadequate. It sounds like one of our hymns, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. But the point is to say these nations, uh, however impressive to us, cannot compare. They are less than nothing before God. And then the second contender, idols, mere images. In verse 18, the question we've been wrestling with is finally put 
uh, directly to us. To whom will you liken God? And the point of these verses is that uh, no idol made by humans will do any good. In this sermon series, a key thing I've been pressing upon us is, is this. You become what you worship. Well, here they are. Your idols. Are you impressed? Are you impressed? The force of what Isaiah says, it, it, it rings and kind of re- it resonates with what Paul says in, in Romans 1, the kind of pathetic exchange that, that uh, we in our sin make. Paul says, although each of us knows, we've, we've known God, we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but become futile in our thinking. And he says, our foolish hearts are darkened. And then, and then here's Paul's point. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. And again, we, ex- we exchange the creator for creation, worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. So Isaiah causes us to see the contrast. This God, this creator beyond compare, crafting heaven and earth, and now the irony of our human heart, we prefer to worship things crafted by us, made by us, adorned with gold and silver, having the appearance of of value, and yet, they are propped up, supported. They, they hold still in their place because we, because of our work. There's no power in them. Then if we see these, that these competitors are, are nothing, if, if we are to look uh, for God in the commotion, of the commotion of the great nations or in images and idols formed by humans, where do you find this God beyond compare? How do you know him? There's a very helpful paragraph in our Confession of Faith in the Westminster Confession, and I'll paraphrase it for you rather than read it to you, but it it claims basically this. It says, the distance, the distance between God and his creation is so great, so immense, that although we as creatures owe obedience to God, we owe our worship and adoration to him, yet we could never No, God, we could never experience the joy and the life and the reward that is in him unless he comes down to us. And so we wonder, how will you know this God beyond compare? And we return to the opening of this passage. Here is this eager herald, the the city of God, the people of God, bearing good news, and what do they say? 
Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes in with might. His arm rules for him. God comes down. He shows his mighty arm in salvation. The very God who measured and and weighed and, and crafted creation, he makes himself present in Jesus. He shows you, he shows you his incomparable glory. And I, I love this. When the incomparable God comes in salvation, he gives himself to us in ways that we can know and see, hear, and receive. And so we've asked this question, to whom or what will you compare God? And Isaiah says, here's, here's a comparison for you. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. Your God beyond compare, he becomes for you like a shepherd. Jesus comes mighty in salvation and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Do you hear? Do you hear the kind of intimacy uh, in Jesus that you have been given with this God beyond compare? My own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. What a difference this makes. What a difference this makes because God is eternal. This this God, infinite, eternal, true, your creator, God beyond compare. He comes to you and and as as this eternal God, uh, he calls forth from you wonder and praise and reverence. He is able to humble you before his splendor. He is powerful to save. And because God is your shepherd, in Jesus, you know this incomparable God with an intimacy that should stun you, that should lead you to rejoice in thanksgiving. In short, there is life in this God beyond compare, who for your sake has freely become like a shepherd. And here's the promise. You'll bear the image of the one you worship. So our passage closes with these wonderful words. God gives power to the faint. He gives of his infinite life and power, the infinite life and power that is in him to those who look to him in faith. And then our passage, which opens with this daring comparison, God will be like a shepherd. It closes with a similarly bold comparison. You who wait on the Lord 
will mount up with wings like eagles. Here is seemingly impossible life, strength for you who look to the matchless God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Let's pray together. Our great and matchless God, we adore you. We adore you for your wisdom, power, justice, goodness, holiness, and truth. We adore you for the way you have put your matchless worth on display in Jesus. We we marvel at the way that you, our, our exalted creator, have come so near, even becoming our shepherd, caring for us from day to day, giving us confidence and assurance of your steadfast love, renewing us through your spirit. Lead us, O Lord, to live in a way responsive to your grace, knowing you, perceiving Uh, your work in our midst and responding in praise. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord and say together, amen.